It's Thursday, June 17th, and today on my walk I'd like to discuss how Catholics who would like to work in classical Catholic education can do so profitably, and if they're diligent and cunning in their work, can earn a living promoting classical Catholic education, which is a very satisfying and noble cause to be working for. The problem that Catholics have in 2021 is that many Catholics are attracted to the Catholic faith and to the Catholic Church for what they call tradition. And this idea of tradition, or this word, tradition, has a number of different meanings. It means different things to different people. For some people, tradition means retaining the liturgical activity or the liturgical style of past generations of Catholics. For some, tradition means dressing like Catholics from past generations. For some, tradition means returning to an agricultural lifestyle that was enjoyed by many Catholics of the past. For some, tradition means preserving the authoritative teaching of the Catholic Church. And most perfectly and most truly, tradition in a Catholic context means believing in the authority of the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. This last definition is the only true definition of tradition in Catholic circles. Tradition means that we hold to the judgment of the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Today, through history, and for all time. And Catholics are going to be challenged by developments in technology through the next generation. And if they cling to a false idea of technology, it's going to destroy their lives. But if they hold to a true idea of tradition... It's going to serve as a light to guide them through the changes that are going to come in our society. The true Catholic tradition is a light for us as society changes on the surface. Nothing essentially changes about human life. But the appearances and the instruments do change, and sometimes they change significantly. The true Catholic faith and true Catholic tradition serve as a timeless guide 
to allow Christians to navigate through these changes intelligently and fruitfully. Any false sense of tradition is going to cause people to be destroyed by these changes because they're clinging not to the true ship of the church, but to floating objects around that ship which are not going to be able to keep them afloat when the sea change takes place or when the sea gets rough. So, the first thing I'm going to challenge you with is to examine yourself and ask what it is that you cling to as Catholic tradition. If it's anything superficial, if it's any kind of cultural form, if it's any kind of mere fashion of an age, if it's any accidental teaching or customs of the church, you're clinging to them contrary to the judgment of the hierarchy of the church is going to destroy your life. You're going to be clinging to things unconditionally which are just accidentals in the Catholic life. And you're going to be telling yourself that you're clinging to the clinging to the faith and imagining that you're being persecuted or suffering for the faith when actually contrary to what the hierarchy of the church is telling you you're actually suffering for something that you merely prefer which isn't essential in any way to the catholic faith so i'd like to warn you to examine yourself because the world is changing and many things the Catholics imagine to be a part, an inseparable part of tradition are going to disappear. And they're going to have a very difficult time handling these changes and the changes may cause them to shipwreck or drown would be a better term, because the ship is fine. It's people that are not trusting in the safety of the ship, the living hierarchy of the church, who are in trouble. Now, the Second Vatican Council provides us with a good example of how the living hierarchy works to address the changes that take place outside the church and how God uses the church to guide individual Christians through these changes. It doesn't matter what any individual Catholic thinks about the judgment of the hierarchy of the church. The church is not a democracy. It's not subject to public criticism. The church is the authority, the pope and bishops, the hierarchy of the church. 
In Vatican II, changes were made not because the bishops believed the faith or essential tradition needed to change, but because society outside the church was changing. And the church, like an army, had to adapt to deal with the changes. The church, in this sense, is prophetic and somewhat mysterious. Like the prophets in the Old Testament, they simultaneously understood what they were talking about and yet at the same time couldn't possibly understand what they were talking about. There's this sort of prophetic uncertainty where to a certain degree the prophet is acting intentionally and knowingly but in another sense the prophet is being moved by God to do things and say things the full significance of which he cannot comprehend. And we'll see that this is how God works in and through the hierarchy of the church. The reason why there are abuses and confusion and scandals that arise is because many of the actual members of the hierarchy of the church themselves don't comprehend the significance of what they actually are saying and doing. Sometimes they imagine that it means something that time will prove it does not mean. But in time, we'll see that God leads his apostles and their successors and they don't understand it all, nor does it depend on their understanding of it. God's will is done, but God's will is done through the hierarchy of the church, and those who speak against it do not do God's will. Those who criticize individual members of the hierarchy and try to use their isolated misunderstanding or misapplication of God's will, who look at individual abuses and try to use that as an argument to suggest that the entire movement itself is wrong are simply irrational. That's not how reasoning works. We don't reason from an individual to a class. We reason from a class down to the individual. So we need to examine ourselves in 2021 and make sure our hearts are pure and that we follow the counsel of St. Ignatius of Loyola, who told us that if our judgment contradicts that of the hierarchy of the church, to set our judgment aside and trust in the hierarchy of the church. Now, as I said, we'll find that true Catholic tradition 
gives Catholics an advantage when these sea changes take place in history. But most Catholics, especially today, when Catholic communities are filled with conspiracy theories and idle criticism influenced by Protestantism and other errors of modern society, coupled with terrible education, we're going to find that most Catholics are unable to handle these changes. And I believe that's why when we read the New Testament and it talks about the end times, it presents an image of many Christians being overwhelmed by things that take place and only a few being able to navigate through them faithfully. And I believe, I'm not saying that these are end times or that that those passages talk about situations taking place in our generation. Almost every generation of Christians has thought that. But what I'm saying is every generation, while we may not be seeing the actual final fulfillment of those prophecies, we see we see types of them and shadows of them, foreshadowings of them in every generation of what's going to happen. And we can see that happening in our generation as Catholics distracted by a million different worldly influences are going to get themselves in trouble and eventually destroy their lives. So we have to make sure that our hearts are pure, that we're trusting in the hierarchy of the church as the ship of our salvation, and that we are actually in the ship rather than floating on debris outside the ship. Now, what are these changes? Well, the changes that are taking place have to do with the media by which information is shared. There's a revolution taking place in our generation that is going to be far more extensive than the printing press was in the 15th century. The printing press radically changed the world for good and evil. And digital media, the digital revolution that we are living in the midst of, is going to change the world far more dramatically than the printing press did for both good and evil. I'm afraid it's going to affect the world more for evil because Christians in our generation don't have the wisdom that Christians had in the 1400s. If we look back to the history of the printing press, we'll see that Christians were very shrewd and made excellent use of the printing press to spread the faith and to also control the ability of false teachers and 
enemies of the church to spread their ideas. The digital revolution is going to be a completely different animal. We already know this to a degree because we've experienced it. But what we've experienced in this digital revolution has been the effect of sinful people being more observant of worldly trends and getting involved in them and and controlling them and dominating them from the beginning while Catholics sort of wandered around in circles kicking rocks. And the time is going to come where Catholics are going to figure out exactly what this digital revolution is about and these things are going to be balanced by Catholic works in the future. And we already see this to a great degree. If you were on the internet in 2000, you'll know how troublesome a Google image search was where pornographic images would come up for relatively innocent search terms. Whereas today, in 2021, this is no longer the case. To find immoral images on Google, you have to be a pervert who's actively seeking them. No one is surprised anymore by a pornographic image in a Google search. These things balance out over time. Many criticize and condemn this digital media revolution because of memories they have from the past and to be honest because of their own sins and lack of self-control which they attribute to the media rather than to their own hearts. That's a different issue and it's going to keep many from being able to participate. But to the pure, all things are pure. And I know from experience that there are some children, for example, who can't be trusted on the internet for 10 seconds without supervision. And there are other Christians, other Christian children, who can sit online hours and hours a day doing what they're supposed to do because they have self-control. And self-control, as always, is going to give Christians the opportunity to be successful in an environment that would consume those who are spiritually weak and who don't have self-control. I can testify that I spend probably 18 hours a day working in some way connected to the internet. And I watch absolutely nothing pornographic, see no pornographic images, have no interest in any such things, and believe that those who complain about them complain about the internet falsely. I find no distractions on the internet unless I were to seek them. And so this argument that the internet causes people to do this or be like this is false. And for Christians to engage in this 
revolution that's taking place, we need to put aside these false accusations and not allow the digital media to be demonized as if it's the cause of sin. It's simply a medium. And human beings, both virtuous and vicious, are using it to communicate, just like we do all other media. So, we need to examine ourselves and prepare for this work, because it's going to be a great challenge. Now, what, what needs to be done? Let's, just, let's, go, let's get away from generalities and principles, and let's, let's get down to the details. The world that's going to emerge from this digital media is a digital world. The entire world, the, the entire globe, is going to be united by ideas and interests rather than by geographical location. Christians in the United States will be able to collaborate with Christians in the United Kingdom, in Russia, in China, in Australia, in India, in Mexico, in South America, in Africa. And we already see this happening. In the Classical Liberal Arts Academy, I have students enrolled from every continent. And our geographical separation is absolutely meaningless. And so we're no longer united in this digital environment by geographical location or nationality. We're now united by common interests, by ideas that we share. Christian websites serve Christians of all nations. Anti-Christian websites serve anti-Christian groups from all nations. And that's how this modern digital society, digital community, differs from the print community or the spoken word community of the past. Now, as this community, as this new world is digital, our existence, and this is, this is a hard concept to grasp, our existence, as far as education and business are concerned, is going to become primarily digital and not physical or geographical. An influential man is no longer going to be a man who owns a piece of commercial real estate on the highway. An influential man is not going to necessarily be a man who has lots of cash 
An influential man is going to be a man who has a strong digital audience. Think about it. In the 1980s, if someone wanted to start a business, let's say a retail business, let's say selling televisions and radios, what they needed to do was find a property, a physical property that was located on a busy road or highway or in a mall where they could have access to lots of traffic, literally traffic, as in on the road or in the shopping mall. And they could attempt to attract that traffic into their store to buy their products. In order to create a store, one needed to physically set up shop where the traffic was geographically. And to do that was very expensive because that real estate was very competitive. The same exact method of sales is true today except it's no longer geographical and the traffic is not physical but digital. And therefore, the equivalent of owning the best retail location in 1980 is having a website that gets the most traffic in 2021. And there is a whole science behind this traffic getting. And I'm sorry to tell you, but if you're not engaged in this race already, it's probably too late for you. Because people have already been working at it for 25 years. And the longer it takes for you to engage, the more valuable that digital real estate is going to be and the more impossible it's going to be to get a hold of it. If you look at Amazon.com, what makes Jeff Bezos so brilliant, and we should all admire and applaud him, For this shrewdness is that back in the early 1990s, he was able to see where internet business was going and he gambled everything on long-term results. He invested all of his present resources in a reward that was decades away. And Amazon started in the 1990s doing things that no one understood, making decisions that seemed contrary to every principle of business. Amazon lost millions and millions of dollars every year And people invested more and more because of Bezos' 
explanation of what was about to happen in internet business because he saw it coming and understood it. And then in the 2000s and especially today, Amazon is exploding exponentially, not because of some evil conspiracy, but because of a very shrewd businessman who could read the signs of the times, predict the future, as it were, and put himself in position to prosper when that future was realized. Amazon provides us with an example of what it means to succeed in this digital revolution. And the bookstores that occupied the prime real estate along the highways, the borders and Barnes and Nobles that you might have visited, are all gone now. Because the world that they were designed to profit in no longer exists. The same thing that happened to the bookstores is going to happen to the schools. The same thing that happened to the bookstores is going, is going to happen to the libraries. The same thing that happened to the bookstore is going to happen to every industry in this digital society. And you are either going to be standing in a bookstore in 2040, or you're going to be positioned well in this emerging digital community. Now, Amazon is light years ahead of the game. And to be honest, they're in a position that no one wants to be in. There's a saying, it's always best to be second, because the people who are first are running in the dark, as it were. And the work that they do, predicting and positioning themselves for the future, as changes are only emerging, is very expensive and wasteful. And those who come after are able to watch, see the mistakes, avoid losing the money that the leaders lose, and if they're more shrewd, getting a better angle on the future place where they need to be and being able to beat the first guy to it. Sort of an unfair reality of how life works. But Amazon has provided us all with an extreme, highly visible example of what's going to happen in business. And as I said, what has already and is already happening in business. And this is going to trickle down and the same trend is going to take place in every industry, in every area of life. People who 
scoff at it, people who turn away from it and ignore it, like the bookstore owners did, can talk all they want. But the problem is, they're going to be standing in an empty building with no traffic 10 years from now. And as I said, this is going to be true in education. Those who are planning and building future careers in their imagination on the existence of brick-and-mortar schools are like people who are investing in building new bookstores on Main Street. And this is what many Catholics are doing. Now, the challenge for us is to predict where this revolution is going to take us. And rather than worry about short-term profits or short-term successes, to look forward to the long-term developments that are going to take place, and as I keep saying, are already taking place, whether you're aware of them or not, to discern where we need to be in 30 years and begin making preparations and doing the work that will put us there at that time. This is what Jeff Bezos did. And the, and the prosperity that he currently enjoys is deserved. And we should applaud him for it because it's an example of the kind of long or far-sighted shrewdness that we're all supposed to live with. Most of the people who claim to prefer the old way, if we examine them personally, we'll find that they're actually interested in vulgar pleasures. And that's what they actually like about the old way. They're not interested in the way that change disrupts our life and causes us to continue working and innovating and adapting. They don't want to adapt. They may have landed a good job in the old way and they would like everything to remain unchanged so that they can just keep their easy job and live a physically pleasurable life in convenience as if they were hobbits. The problem is that the change is not in our control and the duty that we have is to be like light infantry or guerrilla soldiers who are able to be swift and adapt to different enemies and different kinds of warfare that arises in battle. So this is the question. How are you as a Catholic going to position yourself to be successful as this digital revolution works itself out. 
Now, if you're ignorant of all the things that are going on behind the scenes, you're in trouble because, like I said, you're 20 years behind the curve and there, there are already millions of people who have been at work in positioning themselves, seeing Jeff Bezos' example and getting ready. When you look at people like Elon Musk investing everything he has in Tesla... Why do you think he would do that? The reason is because he is predicting that in this new digital world, transportation is going to be electric, and he wants to be in position to provide that solution when the time comes. If you look around at what Jeff Bezos is doing today, you'll find that he has got a great interest in space And the reason why is because he is looking forward again and predicting where he believes the future is going to take us in some way. And he's positioning himself for success when that future emerges. The reason why it's important to think like this is because if changes occur when we're 20 years old or 30 years old, it's no big deal. But if changes take place when we're 45 years old, 50 years old, 55 years old, adapting becomes very difficult and unlikely. And the danger is having your career turned upside down when you're in your 50s and have no means of recovering. That's what should concern us. And if somebody says, "Ah, you're just, this is just worldly anxiety, we're supposed to take no thought for tomorrow, we're not supposed to worry about what's going to come, that sounds fine, but you've got a retirement plan for a reason. There's responsible planning, which is part of the faculty of reasoning, And there's worldly anxiety, and they're not the same thing. So what do Catholics need to do? And I'm specifically talking to Catholics who are interested in working in education. My first piece of advice is build your digital personality. Create a strong and robust digital community. What does that mean? If you go on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or any of the other social media platforms and you have two followers, that's the reality of your digital existence. That's the reality. If you've got a bunch of stuff that you've written on the internet let's say in a blog, and you've got it all blocked and it's private and it doesn't appear in Google search engines or in Google searches, it's not on social media, no one's sharing it, no one's one's visiting your site and seeing it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And in this digital community, you don't exist. 
The first thing that you need to do, the first thing that you need to do is learn how to build a digital community around yourself. Because this community is going to increasingly be the community with which you are going to do business in the future. And if you don't build the community while the real estate is cheap, as it were, you're not going to be able to build it when the real estate gets expensive later on. So, task number one for Christians is rather than hiding online, rather than avoiding social media and boasting about how invisible you are for fear of conspiracy theories and warnings of online security that aren't even true, you should be working to build your online presence and visibility. Now, you need to do it in appropriate ways. One of the reasons why people are afraid to do this is because they're afraid that their private vices are going to be discovered. People who maintain a religious public appearance but have a secret, immoral, private life are afraid of this modern, public, digital community. You need to build your online presence and build your digital community while it's affordable to do so. Because it's not going to be affordable in the future. And if you realize at the last minute that people with no digital presence can't do business, you're going to find that there's no way to create that digital presence after that realization has already occurred. And you're going to be shut out from business. Now, what the crazies will do is they'll suggest that this is the mark of the beast and that's why it prevents people from doing business. Because the mark of the beast is every lazy and foolish man's excuse for his foolishness. The problem is that not studying or not developing any marketable skill also makes a man not able to buy and sell. And I don't hear anyone referring to sloth as the mark of the beast. So beware of the crazies who, as I said, love to use the book of Revelation as the explanation for why they can't pass a test, can't get a degree, can't build a profitable business, have no profitable skills, and so on. You need to build your online presence. And what does that, so let's get into that. What does that mean? Well, think about life in the 1980s. If you were alive then or even earlier, there were door-to-door salesmen. 
Door-to-door salesmen literally walked from house to house, knocking on doors, introducing themselves to complete strangers because they were looking for leads. They were looking for people who might be interested in their products and services. And at that time in history, the way to do that was literally to get on the street, pound the pavement, as they used to say, and walk from door to door looking for one person who might be interested. And they might visit a thousand houses, knocking door by door, and they might find one interested person. And that was understood as the way business works. Fast forward to the 1990s, and it was about catalog shipping or telemarketing. And in the 1990s, we had to deal with the constant calls from telemarketers who would cold call every single phone number they could get their hands on and look for leads, introduce themselves, their product or service, and see if the person would like to receive a catalog or a free trial or a visit or a second phone call or a mailing and try to get some contact information that could be used as a lead for follow-up. And it was done through telephone calls, thousands and thousands and thousands of calls in pursuit of one positive response. Likewise with catalogs, mailing catalogs, hundreds and hundreds of catalogs being mailed in hope of a single order being received. Television emerged and advertising went onto the television. And you'd be sitting watching a basketball game and there would be commercials for Clorox bleach on the television for 30 seconds for millions of people who are watching a basketball game. And you'd wonder, what in the world do I care about Clorox bleach? And yet, if you go to the grocery store in 2020 and you need to buy some bleach and there's 20 different brands of bleach in the bleach aisle, you, rem- you remember Clorox bleach. And that's the purpose of those television ads in the 1980s and 1990s to create what's called brand awareness, which directs our choices when we get to the store. Because not everyone chooses the product by the lowest price. And so we see through history how the media that was available determined how people created their community of contacts. In the 1980s, it was mailing lists. It was a Rolodex full of cards with people's contact information. It then became contact lists in our cell phones. 
But for most people, these resources like the television, the radio, the phone, and so on, these resources are used merely for entertainment because they're just consumers. If you hand a cell phone to a person who has the disposition of a consumer, he immediately seeks to learn how he can play on it. If you hand that same phone to a man who is a business-minded person, he immediately thinks of how he can use that tool to generate leads for business. And that's the difference between the men who become successful and the men who are always looking for jobs. We're standing at the dawn of a digital revolution and you are either going to be playing games with the tools, chatting with your friends and sharing memes and silly pictures and jokes or your favorite songs from when you were in high school. Look how cool this is. I found this video of Bruce Springsteen from 1980. Remember this? LOL, that's going to be you, or you're going to be learning how to use these resources to earn a living 20 years from now. And with regard to Catholic education, we need to be learning how to use these resources and tools to promote the Christian faith and teach the classical liberal arts and classical philosophy and Catholic theology for the next 50 years. The first thing you need to do is stop looking at these tools as toys and use them for future business. You need to build an online community. You need to be on social media, not scrolling through pictures looking for jokes and watching videos, but making connections making connections that in the future you'll be able to use for business. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Snapchat. These are social media platforms. Not for gossip and play, but for teaching and business and evangelization. Build your online presence before it's too late. Secondly, you've got to spend time meditating on how your industry is changing, and in this case, how education is changing. Education is moving from schools and classrooms onto the Internet. If you're studying for a college teaching degree because you want to get a college you want to get a teaching license and work in a school, you have to stop, pump the brakes on your career plans and ask, are these schools even going to exist in 10 years? Look at how rapidly online learning is changing. My oldest kids are in college, 
And they have rarely been in a college classroom. Even though my, my son is 30 or 40 credits into his degree program, I think he's had three classes in a classroom. Everything has been online. Everything. So what are you actually preparing for? Are you preparing for a real-world career that's going to provide for you for the next 30 or 40 years? Or are you just stupidly walking according to the path that your parents took when they went to college 30 years ago? Everything is moving to the digital community. You have to train yourself to know how to operate in that digital community. Now, if you're building a digital community for yourself, you can see how things work. You can teach and publish your teaching and share it with your digital community. And the bigger and more relevant your digital community is, the more likely that you are to succeed and be able to make some income from your work. Let me give you an example from another field. There's a girl on Instagram. I know her first name is Charlie. I don't know what her last name is, but her first name is Charlie. And she got on Instagram and started posting dance videos when Instagram first was developing. And she was a young girl, probably a, an early teen. And she got on Instagram and started posting dance videos. And she, she was a dancer and posted dance videos. Today, she has 42 million followers on Instagram. And if she posts a video... If she posts a video of herself dancing in her bedroom in 2021, 40 million people might watch it. Now think about that. At the same time, there are girls enrolled in dance academies, college dance programs, performing in recitals, trying to get a spot on a stage, let's say in Broadway, trying to get on stage because in the 1950s, that's how dancers made a living. And so while they go through this grueling life of training, auditioning, participating in recitals, participating in shows that don't pay a dime, hoping to get invited to the next audition or, or to the next bigger stage, a teenager is posting videos from her bedroom and being watched by 40 million people globally. Which one of those two dancers is engaged with the real world? The one who's dancing on stages, physical stages, in empty auditoriums or in auditoriums full of hundreds of people? Or the girl who's dancing on Instagram and being invited onto The Tonight Show 
because she has 40 million followers and she's making millions of dollars dancing in her own house. We have to be aware of our own times and changing circumstances. If you want to work in Catholic education, planning for a future in a Catholic school classroom where you get a paycheck and you show up and you teach 20 students sitting in desks in front of you and you write on a chalkboard and the students bring you apples and you walk home with your books wrapped in a belt tucked under your arm is, is great if you're somehow planning to go back to the early 1900s and live in that generation. But if you're planning to be a teacher in 2030 or 2040, your career plans are no plans at all. Besides, if you're planning to be a teacher and you're not a better teacher, objectively speaking, than other people who are already all over social media, all over YouTube, already have websites with thousands of followers, how are you going to compete with the teachers that already exist? The career plans of young people are not realistic. And I'd like to finish this talk with my advice for what you should do if you're interested in working in classical Catholic education. As I said earlier in this talk, I think I said this, in 2021, if you're interested in classical Catholic education, in the revival of classical Catholic education, which is coming through this digital revolution, you're not going to be able to compete with the Classical Liberal Arts Academy. We're already so far ahead in the game, and you'd be starting so far behind that it would take you, it would take you millions of dollars to catch up. But you could collaborate with us and enjoy a successful career contributing to the restoration of classical Catholic education. And here's how. First of all, as I said, build your digital community and share information about classical Catholic education with your digital community. And think about who that digital community should be. It doesn't matter if you have 50,000 followers if 48,000 of them are irrelevant to your life. You need to build a digital community that's significant for you and for your work. Families and individuals that you believe will be interested in the kind of work that you want to do. And share with them information about classical Catholic education. Share with them links to the courses that we offer in the Classical Liberal Arts Academy. Share with them links to information, to videos that we publish in the Classical Liberal Arts Academy. Share with them the resources that are already available in the Classical Liberal Arts Academy, 
because you can earn commission if and when they enroll in courses online. You can earn commission. This is a way that you can realistically earn a living or part of a living working in this emerging digital community. Share resources, links to products, to courses, to services, to information pages, to articles, to videos, to podcasts, and so on, teaching them about the importance of classical Catholic education and showing them how they can pursue a classical Catholic education. As I said, if you do this, you will receive a commission when these enrollments come from your work and your community. That's step number one. That's step number one. Step number two, as people begin to use the resources that are available in the Classical Liberal Arts Academy, as you start to generate some income as a reward for your work to teach them and introduce them to the available resources, the opportunity is going to come not to be their teacher, because in the classical Catholic curriculum, we don't need teachers like modern schools do. We study the the master sources directly. Aristotle is our teacher. Jesus Christ is our teacher. Thomas Aquinas is our teacher. We don't need teachers in classical Catholic education. What will be needed in classical Catholic education are support workers, tutors that help the families and help the students with their studies. And this can become a very significant career opportunity. As people begin to use the Classical Liberal Arts Academy courses and resources, they're going to need help in their studies. The children are going to need help with their lessons. Parents are going to need help with course selection, helping their children, managing their children's records, transitioning into college studies or career plans. There are, there are enormous opportunities that are going to be available for Catholic people to offer expert help to families seeking a a classical Catholic education. The work of education is not going to be standing in front of a class acting like a teacher from a modern school. The work in education is going to be tutoring and support. The work in education is going to be in tutoring and support. That's where, and I'm going to just talk financially here, that's where the money is going to be available. The money is going to be available in tutoring and support for families and students that are studying the classical Catholic curriculum. So part one of this future career opportunity in classical Catholic education. Part one is building your digital community and teaching them about the importance of classical Catholic education. 
developing a community of people who understand classical Catholic education and desire it, then help them to actually get started in it and provide them with support throughout their years of study in classical Catholic education. That's where the career opportunities are going to be. People write to me and say, well, I don't have a classical education. I'm not a teacher. It doesn't matter. The future of education, especially classical Catholic education, does not require schoolmasters. It does not require lecturing teachers standing in front of a room of students. Those resources are already going to be available. What classical Catholic education is going to require are people who can provide simple support and tutoring for families studying the classical liberal arts online. That's where you can earn a significant living and will be able to for the next 50 years. The need for support and tutoring is never going to go away. You can do that locally or you can do that globally. For example, I'm going to be teaching live classes. I'm going to be publishing lesson material and making assessments for most of my life. There's not going to be a need for that work. And it's unlikely, and I don't say this arrogantly, but honestly, it's unlikely that your ability to teach the classical liberal arts is going to be superior to mine, especially when I've been immersed in this as a classicist for 25 years. And my experience just multiplies every year. The live class opportunities are, are not going to be available, realistically speaking. But I am not going to be able to provide tutoring and support for all of the students that are going to be seeking a classical Catholic education. And if there's a criticism against the Classical Liberal Arts Academy, it's going to be that I have never been able to provide good support for families in the Classical Liberal Arts Academy because it's not my primary focus. If you would like to work in classical Catholic education and devote your life as a Catholic layman to the work of restoring classical Catholic education in an emerging digital community, the way for you to do that is not by trying to be a 1980s school teacher, but to be a savvy digital support worker and tutor. That's where the opportunity is going to be. This is going to be especially true if you speak a foreign language. I spoke to a man today which, which inspired me to, to talk about this, who is a Spanish-speaking man. The entire Spanish world is open to him. I'm not going to work in the Spanish-speaking community. I'm not going to work in the French-speaking community or the Italian-speaking community. I don't know that Australians want to hear my American accent. I don't know that people living in England want to be taught by a guy with an American accent. 
geographically and linguistically, I am not going to be able to serve those communities. And those entire communities are wide open to people who are willing to bring classical Catholic education to those communities in their own languages and dialects. So that's where I believe anyone who is serious about working in classical Catholic education, that's where the work is going to be. And that's where I recommend you to focus and get, get working if you're interested. Build your digital community. Start teaching. Not the lessons themselves, but start spreading information about classical Catholic education. You can use all of the articles I publish, the videos I publish. You can translate the articles I write. You can transcribe and translate the videos that I've published and share that information with your digital community. Lead that digital community to classical Catholic education. You're not just doing business. You're leading them to true Catholic education. That's what you're supposed to do. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You should be working to lead people to true Catholic education. That's not selfish selfish salesmanship. You should be eager to lead people to true education. Do that by building a strong digital community, sharing information with them, sharing links to our courses, sharing links to our subscription services, sharing links to articles, to videos, to podcasts. You're free to, you're free to take to, to borrow from our resources. If you'd like to take one of my videos and just pull a 10-second clip out and share that with your own, you can use my resources in any way that you want. But lead them to the Classical Liberal Arts Academy. They can get started for free. The entire curriculum is available and is going to be increasingly available as we continue to finish it. And that's the starting place for them. As I said, you'll receive a commission you can receive 25% of every enrollment that we receive. We have to do the work that the other 75% pays for, but you can receive 25% of the enrollment just for leading them to enrollment. And then, because you're already the contact person for them, you can provide them with optional paid support and tutoring services to help them through their studies, and will recommend you to them as their support worker and tutor. Will help you to promote your own support and tutoring services in your own digital community and pay you a percentage of enrollments that you lead and bring to the Classical Liberal Arts Academy. You don't need to be St. Thomas Aquinas. What you need to be is St. Thomas Aquinas' assistant. You need to be a tutor. You need to be a helper. Because Thomas Aquinas has already given us his lectures. 
What classical Catholic education needs is what I call blue-collar scholars. Blue-collar scholars. Men who are zealous for classical Catholic education, but who are workers. Not talkers, not lecturers, but workers. Support workers and tutors. That's where career opportunities are now and will be in classical Catholic education. So you have work to do. Build your digital community. Build your digital presence. Find relevant groups to to join. Become friends digitally with the members of those groups and begin sharing things and posting things and teaching them about the importance of classical Catholic education and where they can find it. Start generating income from commissions on enrollments and then offer support and tutoring services for a fee to those families that enroll. That's where career opportunities will be in the future in classical Catholic education. If you'd like to talk about this more, I'm available all day, every day. Uh, The success of our work in the Classical Liberal Arts Academy is going to completely depend on other people getting involved, collaborating with us, and doing this work of digital marketing, as it's called, sharing information on all of the different digital platforms to all different digital communities and sub-communities, leading them into the Classical Liberal Arts Academy, and then providing them with excellent support and tutoring help along the way. Uh, I'm willing to do everything that I can to help you, to teach you specifically what you need to do. And like I said, if you're interested in being a blue-collar scholar and doing the work that's going to be necessary in classical Catholic education, I'll help you and promote you in every way that I can. I hope that's a helpful view of how you can work in the future responsibly and realistically in classical Catholic education. If you have any questions, get in touch. God bless.